I want to give a little bit of a recap of what we talked about last week as we jump into what we're going to talk about this week as we're continuing our Ephesians series. And so we talked about three main things last week. And if you want to jump along today, we're going to be in Ephesians 1, verse 16. We're going to start in 16 if you want to pull that up on your U version. I am going to have it up on the screens today. But last week we talked about three main things. The first one was that you are in Christ, that your location is now in him, right? We talked all about that. If you didn't, if you weren't here last week, do yourself a favor, listen to the podcast. There's a lot of great stuff in there. So we talked about how your location is in Jesus and that you are now located in the place where all the blessings of heaven are. We also talked about how you have a purpose, that before you were even conceived, God had a purpose and a destiny for you. And then we talked about how you are God's inheritance. And we didn't talk about this whole lot, and I want to expand on it. This is about verse 13, 14 in there. And, we, and the idea is that we are God's inheritance. So money is something that we use every day, right? And it's, it's our, we have a currency system in the world. But there is no currency in heaven. Money does not exist in heaven because God owns everything. He doesn't need money, right? I don't think when we're in heaven we're going to need a debit card to buy a snack. I just don't think, you know, that's just not what it's going to be. And so God has given the world the system of currency as a platform ultimately to, t- to talk about our heart, right? It's, Jesus talks about how where your treasure is, there your heart is, right? It's a platform, it's a tool to teach you and to help you see what's going on internally inside of you, but it doesn't really have eternal significance. You guys are all familiar with the idea that you can't take it with you, right? Whatever you spend here, you're either going to spend it for something that has eternal value or not. And so, but we on earth here as humans, we have this concept of an inheritance. When your parents pass away, hopefully they leave something to you. Maybe it's just their house. Maybe it's a little sum of money. But we have this idea that there's this inheritance that we can look forward to that gets passed on. Think about it like this, a family-owned business where when the older generation passes away and then the business gets inherited by the younger generation, right? And so as much as you don't want to say goodbye to your loved ones, there's also an expectation of something you're going to receive and then have to manage, right? That's the concept of an inheritance. But because there's no money in heaven to God, you are his inheritance, Right? This is what Ephesians 1 is saying. It's saying that you are the thing that he's looking forward to, the thing that he, that he is receiving at the end, that it is his, his long-awaited expectation is you. He doesn't need money, right? God owns everything. He's God over everything. He needs you. He wants to be close to you. And so in this first part of Ephesians 1, Paul is saying all these enormous things about our identity. He's having these huge, profound truths, right? And then he says... It's almost like he says, the only way I can help you understand this is to start to pray this for you, right? And so that's where we're going to pick it up here. So let me say one thing about verse 15 um, before we read it. So he's talking about all these big truths. You have a purpose. You have an identity. You are God's inheritance. And then he says in verse 15, because of this, you can put this on the screen. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation today. Because of this, since I first heard about your strong faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your tender love toward all his devoted ones, my heart is always full and overflowing with thanks to God for you as I constantly remember you in my prayers. Paul is talking about this because he understands that you are God's inheritance. He gets that you are so special to the Lord. And so because he understands that, it moves him to be thankful for you. I think we're kidding ourselves if we think that Paul was always surrounded by people who really liked him and who were always telling him, 
you know, high-fiving him and saying, you're so great, right? That really wasn't his reality, but he was moved to be continually thankful for people because he understood how God feels about people. This concept of owning the fact that we are God's inheritance should completely sink into the deepest parts of who we are. Let me say it this way. We should be smitten with the fact that we are God's inheritance. It should be something that we are enamored by, but often we're not. It's kind of a weird thought. Several years ago, about seven years ago, actually, I um, was, and I've told you guys a little bit about my season of burnout, and I was in the, heading into that season. I was uh, beginning to understand the burnout that I was experiencing, and I remember feeling like, I just don't know how to love people, and I don't know if you've ever felt like this, but there's times where you just, you get into the annoying zone, like where everybody's just annoying you, and you can't pull yourself out of it. You know, we all have moments where you're like, ah, I need to just retreat from people, but even big extroverts like me, but it was like I couldn't get out of it. It was just constantly feeling that annoying zone type feeling, and I began to realize, Lord, I don't really love people. This is like a problem. We were in ministry. It's not a good thing. When you're in ministry and you don't love people, it's not helpful for what God is trying to do. And I remember sharing with my um, pastors at the time, and I said, I, I just feel like I don't love people, and I don't know how to change that. And so I began a process of some counseling. And what I discovered through that was that it wasn't just that I didn't love people. I really didn't love myself. I was really angry about who I was. And what I had learned over the course of my life was I had seen, okay, these types of personalities get the most praise. These types of people have the most friends. That when you, know, when you look this way, these things come to you, right? We see these patterns. So what I began to do was try to emulate as many of those as I could. But the thing about that is that when you get praise for a quality about yourself that you are not actually, that you don't actually have, it doesn't actually fill your tank. Does this make sense? So if I'm trying to be one way and people are like, wow, it's so great that you're like that, and I know inside I'm not really like that, I know I'm choosing to be like that, then when somebody says, great job, it doesn't sink in anywhere in your heart. It doesn't help you at all. This is why comparison and jealousy and envy and all this stuff is so dangerous because when we try to seek after what somebody else has going on, when you get validation for that, it doesn't actually validate you because you are not that. Does that make sense? I know this is a huge concept, but I began to discover that about myself, and I started saying, okay, God, I want to understand that I am your inheritance, right? That people, that you love people so much. I want to understand that. I want to be able to look at myself in the mirror and be enamored with the fact that you love me, right? And not be going, oh, this needs to change, that needs to change. Why did you say that? Ah, <laughs> My two-year-old, my almost two-year-old daughter is in this phase where she smacks herself on the head all the time. I think it has to do with her allergies and whatnot, but if she's, like, watching something on the phone and it's not doing what she wants, she'll hit it against her head, you know? And I'm like, girl, you got to understand that's a, an important part of your body. You don't want to be doing that to yourself, right? But we do that to ourselves all the time. We're like, this didn't work out. Ah, you're so stupid. You're so, ah, right? And we immediately go negative. But the thing about that is that God does not feel that way about you. And so when we let ourselves do that, we're in opposition of what God wants to do. And here's what's really crazy. Jesus says, you're going to love, you need to love your neighbor like you love yourself, right? So what that means is the extent that you love yourself is the extent you're going to be able to love other people. 
It's like a measuring rod. So, you know, it, for me in that season of my life, I'm like, I don't love other people, which was a complete indicator that I really just didn't love myself. What you can't give away what you don't have. So if I don't feel good about myself, who God has made me to be, then how can I extend that to you? But on the contrary, when you learn that about yourself and you begin to say, you know what, Lord, for example, I'm a storyteller. That's just the way my mind works. I'm a very visual person and I love watching movies. And part of that season of my life, I had been looking at some people who were sort of heroes of mine and none of them were like that. And so I had sort of quieted that part of myself because I felt like it was wrong. And I remember when the Lord was taking me out of this and he told me to go see a movie that I was really uncomfortable seeing. It had a lot of violence in it. And I said, Lord, that doesn't really fit in my religious checkbox of, you know, that doesn't feel good. And the Lord said to me so clearly, you will go see that movie. And that day, a friend of mine called and said, we want to babysit for you. When would be good? And I was like, well, I guess tonight, so I can go see this movie the Lord's told me to see. And I'm sitting in this movie, and I, it's like an action movie, and I'm just bawling because the Lord is teaching me about my life through what's on this screen. Some of you guys are you know, nodding. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But this is something that is who I am. But if I put that aside and say, well, that's wrong because other people aren't like that, then I'm not being true to myself right? We took the kids to go see a silly kids movie a couple weeks ago, and I almost cried twice in the dumbest movie I've seen in a really long time, because I could see what God was doing, and I could see myself in the story. And we got in the car afterwards, and I said, and the kids were all talking about the movie, and I said, wow, that was one of the most profound prophetic experiences I've had in a long time. And Grant, I kid you not, looked at me, and he just goes, did we just go to the same movie? I said, you didn't get that? There was this team thing, and there was this guy, and when he said this, I just started crying. I thought, that's my heart. And he's looking at me going, what? <laughs> right? And so there's an, an element here, and I'm sharing this story because it's silly, but because there's an element where I could look at that and say, oh, you're not like that, so then I shouldn't be like that. But oh, Or I could say, well, this is how I am right? This is how God made me. And because I am his inheritance, I can appreciate this about myself. So what happens is when I appreciate something as small as being enamored and finding God in stories, then I can appreciate you when it's woodworking, when it's accounting, when it's going to the library, all the things that I wouldn't do, right? But I can look at it and say, man, that's amazing. That's how God made you to be because I can extend it because I'm giving it to myself. Are you guys tracking with me? That's what Paul is saying here in this verse, in verse 15, where he's saying, I am so aware of this revelation of who I am before you, God, and I'm constantly thankful for everybody else because we're all in this together. I don't know about you, but that's where I want to get to. I want to be so enamored with people in the way that God is enamored with people that I'm constantly thanking God for people, not constantly annoyed with people. Here's the way you know how you're doing, okay? When you're driving down the road and the person in front of you does not turn on their turn signal. It's one example. When they cut you off, when they, you know, are speeding past you and you're thinking, I have kids in my car. What's wrong with you, right? All those things that come up about the people on the road with you, it's just a good gauge to say, wow, Lord, how am I doing in my heart really loving people? Because it's easy to love the people you know and you choose to be in your life. It's not so easy when they're people that you're not necessarily choosing. 
All right. So let's go on to verse 17. So here's what's happening. So Paul is feeling so enamored, and he's telling all these really, really rich things. And this part of chapter 1, it's like when you go, if you've ever been to a fancy restaurant, and they bring you the chocolate cake, and it's so decadent and rich, and you want to eat the whole thing, but you can only get like three bites in you. You physically can't do more. I don't know if you've ever had that happen, but when you're like, it's so good, but I just can't. My body won't ingest anymore. That's what Paul is basically saying about this first part of Ephesians 1. He's saying these truths, the fact that you're positioned in Christ, the fact that you are so, that you are his inheritance, all these things, it's so big, I know you can't ingest it, so I'm going to pray for you. And this is what he prays. You can put up verse 17. It says, I pray that the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would impart to you the riches of the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation to know him through your deepening intimacy with him. So here's what Paul is saying. Paul prays three separate times in the book of Ephesians. I believe when we find a prayer in the Bible, like the Lord's Prayer, it's a, it's a key for you. That if you will pray these prayers, it will make movement happen in your life, right? It's almost like God says, you should pray and pray what's on your heart. But if you pray these things, it's like kind of like a double whammy. They just have an extra push because it's the word of God. So if you don't know how to pray, my recommendation to you would be to start right here and start praying this prayer over yourself and over the people in your household. It's going to change things for the better. It's going to be awesome. So here's what he's saying, okay? He said, I pray to the Father of glory, to the Father yeah, of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would impart to you. So this word impart, this is an instantaneous transfer. So there are things in life where we grow, where we learn, where we practice, we get better by doing. And then there are things in life where it's an impartation, it's an instantaneous transfer. The best way to explain this would be Elijah, Elijah and Elisha, right? Where Elisha wanted more, he wanted more anointing. And in the moment where Elijah was taken into heaven, instantly imparted to him was a double portion of the, the gifting that Elijah had. And if you go and actually count the miracles, there was almost exactly double the miracles Elisha did that Elijah did. It's interesting. First Kings, if you want to read that. But that, so there's an instantaneous impartation, okay? So this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, I'm praying there would be like an, a moment where something would shift in you where you would begin to understand this revelation. And then he goes on to say that God would impart to you the riches of the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. I'm about to get a little abnormal here for you, but I'm going to share this with you because it's in the Bible twice and actually here as well. But Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 11, 2 and 3 talks about the seven spirits of God. Revelation 5, 6 also talks about the seven lampstands, it says, which are the seven spirits of God. So most of us, especially if you grew up in a conservative Christian understanding, we have this understanding that there's God the Father, his son Jesus, who is now also God, and then the Holy Spirit, and then there's like heaven. And we don't have much thought about what exists in heaven. If you want to be really weirded out, you can read some of the, pro the prophet books in the Old Testament, like Jeremiah is a great one, where he talks about these encounters he had where there was visions of beings that were very strange in heaven. Okay, this is where, you know, when you look at fantasy books and stuff like that, they're all just copying what exists in heaven. That's all I'm going to say about that. But so there's this concept here where there's these seven spirits of God, but it's not the Holy Spirit and it's not God. So the best way I could explain this enormous concept in the most simplistic form would be to look at it like seven flavors wafting off of God, right? So you have God, and then it's almost like seven different types of his essence coming out, 
okay? Proverbs talks about wisdom. We mentioned this last week a little bit, that you can sit at wisdom's table, that, the, that wisdom will talk to you. This is that spirit of wisdom that Paul is actually saying, I want to impart this to you. It's one of the seven spirits of God. And the wisdom is this. It expands your mind to be able to understand beyond our earthly understanding, right? That we, we can have earthly wisdom, if you want to buy something, you save money, you buy it. Or we can have godly wisdom where it transcends earthly wisdom and it's, it's like it becomes into another level. And that's what this is saying. So Paul is saying, I want you to understand how important you are to God and how, what your identity is. So I'm praying he would impart to you like an instant transfer of the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. One of the seven spirits is the spirit of knowledge. It's not the same spirit, which is just an interesting do with that what you will. But this spirit of revelation, if you take it into the original meaning, it's an aha moment. It's when you're brainstorming, you're trying to figure out what you're going to do, and you, I know, I know what we should do. That's what this spirit of revelation is saying. So again, Paul is saying, I'm, I'm asking God for an immediate opening of your eyes so that you would understand this revelation. It says that they, to give you the riches of the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation, to know him through your deepening intimacy with him. Sometimes we talk about this word intimacy, and it sounds like we're supposed to be, like, swaying in the music and, like, I don't even know what, but it feels weird. I don't know about you, but, you know, sometimes when people talk about that, it just feels weird. But I want to simplify it for you and just say, when you hear intimacy, think connection. Think connecting in your heart. It's really that simple. It's like when you're having a good day in your marriage and you send a text, hey, how are you doing? You know, and you stay connected all day long. You're not necessarily talking about all the mysteries of life, but it's in your heart. You can tell when you're, you're drawing near, when you're leaning in. That's what this is talking about. It's talking about connection. So what Paul is saying here is I'm praying you have this aha moment that will lead you to connection. And as you connect with God, this revelation begins to sink down deeper into you. All right, the next thing he's praying. I love these prayers because they're all progressional. Paul is such a strategic thinker, and so is God for that matter. But he knows you need this, and then you can have this. He talks about another parts in the New Testament where he says, you're like newborn babies, and all you can have is milk, right? We all know if you've ever been around a baby, you can't give a baby a bite of steak. It will kill them. They have no teeth. They'll just choke on it. It's bad for them, right? They have to have milk. But when a baby grows teeth, now they can get the joy of cookies and some other things like that. They can expand their ability. It's like that with the kingdom. We have to start with what we need at the beginning. And once you get that, then God begins to give you more. And once you get this in you, then he begins to give you more. It just keeps getting better. That's where this phrase comes from, right? And so Paul knows that. So in his strategy, even the way he prays is saying the first thing you need is this aha moment. And then you need what we're about to say right here. All right, verse 18. Then he says, I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until, so here's another quantitative moment, right? This is going to happen, and then this is going to happen. Until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling, that is the wealth of God's glorious inheritances that he finds in us, his holy ones. All right, this is an enormous sentence. (laughs) It's like, can you pack any more things into this sentence? So I want to break this down for you. So first we're going to have this aha moment. We're going to be like, oh my gosh, I matter to you, God. 
that I'm important, that I am your inheritance, that, and, I, and I need to live in that reality. We're going to have this aha moment. And then he's saying, I pray the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination. This word imagination can also be talked about the innermost parts of your heart. It might, and your translation might say that, the eyes of your heart, the innermost parts of your heart, something like that. I love looking at it as imagination because I think there is something that we understand in our language about imagination that they understood in their language about the heart, and it's this. Your imagination is a gift to you from God, okay? You may have never heard something like this before, but I hope this makes sense to you. God gave you your imagination because in your brain, he gave you the ability to think logically, and then he gave you your imagination, which defies logic, Your imagination, we're going to call that, let's call it the realm, because I don't know a better word, but the place of where you daydream, it it supersedes our logic, right? Things become possible there that are not possible in our logical mind. Your imagination is a gift from God to you. I actually think this is part of what Satan was after in the garden when he went after Adam and Eve, and he said to her, you're going to be like God. The only way she could consider what it would be like to be like God was to use her imagination. Because logically, we were so limited, right? And so he goes after and he, and he tried to rob that from them. Why? Because your imagination is the place where the prophetic words that you've been given, where your purpose, where you're calling, that imaginative place is where it begins to take shape. We all daydream. You might not know you daydream, but we all daydream, especially if you're driving down the road for a long time and there's nobody else on the road and you kind of just, your mind begins to wander, right? If you're in an airplane, when you're traveling, for some reason, we tend to daydream more. But our minds wander. And, and here's what I think is important, what Paul is saying about this, is that your imagination is supposed to be sanctified. It's supposed to be given to the Lord. But most of the time, our imagination is hijacked by our flesh or by the enemy where it's, it's actually used to distance us from God because we imagine the worst instead of letting it be a tool that God uses for good. Let me put it this way. A long time ago, maybe 15 years ago, I, I am a huge daydreamer. I kind of always have been. And, um, and I was, I don't know wh- where I was, but the Lord began to talk to me about my daydreams. And he said, Rachel, all of your daydreams are as if I don't exist. I was like, huh. And I started thinking about it. I'm like, you're totally right, God. I would have daydreams. I would have, my mind would wander, and almost always it would end in some sort of bad thing happening. And more often than not, it would end in some sort of crime being committed towards me, a mugging, a murder, something like that. It was not good. But I hadn't even given much thought to it. It's just my mind would wander, and then you kind of go, oh, that was weird, and you move on with your life, right? And God began to say, he said, I want to talk to you about that. He said, you need to bring me in to your imagination, In other words, I need to be submitting my imagination to the Lord. I said, okay, God, what does that look like? And he said, when you begin to daydream and you catch yourself daydreaming something bad, stop and put me into that situation and see what I would do. I said, okay, sounds simple enough. Just have to remember (laughs) to do that. So several days later, I caught myself in a daydream, and I was on this, in this daydream, I was like on an alley in New York City kind of thing, and I was walking down the road, and these two people were coming towards me, and they looked like really bad, scary kind of people, and I was afraid, you know, I guess in my imagination, I thought they were going to rob me or something, I don't know, and as I began, I stopped, I realized it, and I stopped, and I said, okay, God, if this was in real life, you would be with me, 
right? My real life is connected to you because I'm in Christ. My imagination is trying to take me to a place where I don't think you're there, which just leads me down a path that's not good. So I said, all right, what would you do? And I immediately began to imagine these two really large bodybuilding angels behind me that were walking behind me. And as I walked down this road, the two people coming towards me moved to the other side of the road, and I moved on like it was no big thing. And I thought, well, that was an interesting exercise, Lord, right? Because all of a sudden, what should have been this bad, scary situation wasn't because it was as if it would happen in real life where we are covered, protected by God, where, he, where we have that discernment in us when we're in a bad situation, right? All of those things. And so I'm telling you that story because I genuinely believe that when we sanctify our imagination, in other words, when we give it to Jesus, when we say, you let this be for your glory, things begin to change. So I began to really address this thing in me. As much as I could remember it, I would catch it. I would turn the imaginations around all of that. And as I did that, what happened was my ability to dream with God began to expand. I didn't realize that was going to be the byproduct, but that is the byproduct. Why? Because that place where things become possible that really aren't possible in our logical mind, it's been given to you by God. God wants to be able to show you your purpose in your daydreams. When you start picturing yourself doing this or that or the other, when it's good and it's godly, that's God trying to sort it out in your brain where you might feel locked up in logic. That's what your imagination is for. Paul gets this. That's why he says, I'm praying that your imagination will be flooded with light, that all the darkness, in other words, would just be exposed. Isn't that amazing? I don't know about you, but I think that's really amazing. Okay, so then he says, that's going to happen. Your imagination is going to be sanctified until, so once that's done, and you figure that out, and you're good with it, you can practice that, then it says, until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling. In case you're wondering what the hope of his calling is, it says, that is the wealth of God's glorious inheritances that he finds in us, his holy ones. So again, we have this theme. We are God's wealth. He doesn't need money. He doesn't has no use for it, but he has a use for you. He wants you in his heart, right? And so when he looks down and he says, man, I'm a rich man, he's saying I'm rich because of all the people. Isn't that amazing? And so Paul is saying, I want you to experience this understanding that we are God's inheritance. So when we feel lowly, when we feel bad, when we feel disappointed, when we're like, man, you know, Lord, let me put it this way. I don't know where this came about, but our Christian culture has begun to, has, we just celebrate the I'm a wretched sinner type mentality, right? I don't, I have a hard time with Christian music. I love worship music, but I have a hard time with Christian music because every song is about how I was a sinner and I'm still kind of a sinner and I, I barely made it across the line by your grace. And although that might be true in some of the things that we do, God does not look at you and think, man, what a wretched person you are. You sure are lucky that I came to the cross, right? No, you are his inheritance. He would have done it even if you were the only one in the world. You matter that much to him. So when we dog on ourselves and when we say, man, I'm just such a lowly person, and we refuse to rise up into what we've been called to do, we're just, we're like at war with who God really is. And so what Paul is saying is you have to get this understanding of how important you are to God. Because you're so important to him. And it's not arrogance. 
And this is, I think, one of the things that holds us back sometimes, especially if we want to be humble people and that we, we get that. You know, if you're familiar with that scripture, the pride comes before the fall, you know, that was a good one in my household. And so you're like, man, if I have any moment of confidence, is the sky just going to open up and a boulder is going to squash me? You know, and so you kind of live in this weird, like, got to stay humble, but at the same time, I got to, I'm God, you know, I'm God's inheritance, but also... <laughs> you know, what's going to happen, right? And I think that we have to understand that this concept is not arrogance. To understand that you are valued, loved, and cared for is right and truth. Arrogance would be saying that I did something to make that happen, right? Or that I'm so great, and that's why God chose us as people. No, no, no. It had nothing to do with us, because it was before the foundations of the world, we talked about this last week, that he made this decision. It came out of his own heart to share a part of himself with people. And so we, we can celebrate and we can have godly confidence and say, you know what? I am. I am blessed. Today I might not feel blessed, but I am blessed. Right? Or you can say, man, I'm so stupid. You can stop and go, no, I'm not so stupid. Lord, I'm your inheritance. Teach me how to do this better. Are you guys tracking with me? So this was so important to Paul because he understood, and he puts this at the beginning of the letter, because he understood if you get this, the world becomes possible. Your calling becomes possible. But unless you understand this about your identity, if you don't, then you're so limited by what your logical mind can understand. We're going to stop there. Because I feel like if we kept going, it would be an injustice to the, the weight that comes in this next part of the prayer. And we're going to pick that up and finish Ephesians 1 next week. But here's where I feel like the Lord has been hammering me and hammering for us this week. Do you know that you're his inheritance? Like, can you say, can you look at yourself in the mirror and say, God, you really feel that way about me? Like, I'm not just trying to put it on and fake it, you know? I'm not trying to hype myself up, but at the end of the day, I know I don't believe that. But, but as I am before you, God, do you believe that you are enough to be counted as one of his riches? There is a war out there for you about this point. Because the enemy knows when you get this, you are unstoppable. We talk about this in, in some circles that I'm in. We call it like, like the understanding of your sonship. It's like the understanding that you are a son of God, whether you're a man or a woman. We are all children of God, right? And when we understand this, things begin to change. And I know for me, this battle of understanding my sonship, so to speak, even though I'm a woman, but, you know, actually that word in the Bible is, includes both genders. But understanding that was the biggest battle I've ever fought in my life. And I have seen across all of my friends and the people I'm close to, it's like there's a line. And the line is, do you get this about your identity? And when you get this, battles will still come, but you'll fight them in a different way. But until you get this, this is the biggest battle that's in front of you. Graham Cook, one of my heroes, he says it this way. He says, he talks about when you're in team settings, is it's important to know, has the biggest battle of their life already happened or is it still to come? He said, it doesn't change the way you treat them. It just helps you know how to position yourself with the people around you to stand with them, right? And I believe that biggest battle is this. It's can you honestly look yourself in the mirror and say, I love myself, God, because you created a good work in me. I might personally have added in this or taken out that, but you deliberately didn't. 
right? And so if you're, if you're sitting here and you're like, man, I don't get that, I want to say to you, you can, and you should fight that fight, because that is a fight that's worth fighting. It's worth getting up there every day, spending time with God, even if it's five minutes, right? Even if you go, all right, today before I go to work, I'm setting it in my, in my phone as a reminder that for two minutes before I turn the car on, I'm going to say, I want to connect with you, God. I want you to put this in my life. And if you're sitting there and saying, I don't get this, I don't, I don't know how to get this, then Paul has given you a prayer to pray. It's, it's actually simple, even though it's so complex. And so when you sit there with the Lord, you say, God, and this is how I would do it. I would say, God, I pray, you put, make it personal. I pray that the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would impart to me the riches of the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation to know you through deepening intimacy with you. I pray the light of God would illuminate the eyes of my imagination, flooding me with light until I experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling. And then you can just pray from that place. God, I want to believe that this is who I am before you. I don't want to believe the voices of the people who've said mean things to me or wrong things. I want to believe what's true. And I promise you, if you will do this every day for even like a week, even as simple as a week, you will begin to notice things. You'll begin to, to, to catch when you're putting yourself down because it invites the Lord into that with you. So that's my challenge for you guys. That's my prayer for you is that if you haven't come to this place where you are experiencing that revelation, that you make that your goal. Lord, I want to experience it. And that you do that without feeling bad about it. Right? There's not, we're not, there's no, in the kingdom, it's not a rat race. <laughs> we're not looking and going, oh, you're over there. Oh, <laughs> I don't want to be next to you. No. We're looking and go, okay, this is where you're at. Great. Own it. Let's see what God's going to do for you right where you're at. You know? That's how I look at myself. Just to be honest, I was having a conversation with my family last night, and I said, this is where I'm at, and this is where I want to get. And I'm saying, here, what do I need to do, Lord? What books do I need to read? How do I need to pray? What needs to change in my life to get me to this next place, right? And that's part of how it just keeps getting better. But it's, it's, it gets stalled out when we look at it and we feel bad or we feel like unholy conviction. Like it's not from the Holy Spirit. It's condemnation on ourselves. So when Paul says that I'm going to end this here because I could just rant about this for a long time because I feel so passionate for you. But when he says there's now no more condemnation in Romans, this is what he's talking about. Don't feel bad about where you're at. Just own it. Step up to the Lord and go, all right, God, I'm here. Fix me. Give me that revelation. I want to experience it. I want to be crying, even if you're not a crier. I want to be crying going, I didn't even know that I am your wealth. <laughs> right? Who cares what the money in your bank account is? That really doesn't matter in the eternal scheme of things. It honestly really doesn't matter. And so we can sit there and we can change our perspective when we look at wealth and go, it's people. It's me, God. I'm your shiny gold coin that you put in a little plastic case on the wall, right? Because it's like my prized possession. God's like, that is you. I don't know if any of you guys are coin collectors. I'm not. I don't know where that analogy came from. But here's what we're going to do. I'm going to turn on um, some music because I don't want to miss this moment. And what I want you to do is just say, can you put up that, um, what verse was that? Put up the 17, verse 17 on the screen. And what we're going to do is just take a pause and you just talk to the Lord with where you're at. Okay? It's, it's up to you, right? I, you don't have to be, you don't have to pretend. I've said that enough. 
but right where you're at and say, God, this is where I'm at, and, and tell him, this is what I'm looking for you to do for me in my life, okay? So we're going to take a second, and Lord, we just invite you into our heart, into the deepest places of our heart right now. And Lord, we ask that you would illuminate us. I pray over every person in this room that they would experience you, that you would impart to them the riches of the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. Right now, there will be an aha moment that would lead them to connect with you. God, I pray that the light of God would illuminate their eyes of their imagination, flooding them with light so that they can experience the full revelation of the hope of your calling, that they would know that they are your inheritance. And so we just invite you right now, just for a moment, Holy Spirit, to come and speak to us. What do we need to know? So today, Lord, we come against every lie that the enemy has been sending over us today in all the course of our lives. We come against every lie that says there's something inherently wrong with you, that you're never going to arrive, that you're never going to have what it takes. We break off those lies. We expose them for what they are, and we flood them with light. We come against every place where the enemy has tried so hard to hold us back from understanding how important we are to you. And I just release right now godly confidence over each one of us today. And I bless every person here to experience the richness of this understanding of being your inheritance. And Lord, we ask that you would teach us how to love ourselves even more so we can love others. And I thank you, Lord, for the way you've been meeting with each of us just now. We ask for more of that. We ask for more of that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.